Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. One thing I've noticed is that sometimes as people make more money or save more money or accumulate more, it's almost like they hold on to it more. Like they do kind of view themselves maybe not as poor, but they kind of hold on to it like they're afraid. I mean, you have people on the other end too that just blow it all and whatever. But I'm kind of curious what causes people that have a decent amount of money to like cling on to it as if it's just going to float away or something. To the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today has a passion to help people gain insight about how emotions trigger and often sabotage financial decisions. His book, The Money Nerve, explores the emotions surrounding money management. Welcome to the show, Bob Wheeler. Great to be here. I love the topic of money. I usually focus on more money within business and how to save money and have a business on a budget and all that. So I'm looking forward to this and getting into all things money. Can you give us a little bit of your background first before we get into all that? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. So all of my ambitions were geared towards law school. I took accounting as an elective to help my grade point average because it was something that I was easy for me, but it wasn't what I thought was going to be a career move. Got through most of college, realized I didn't like some of the attorneys that I had met. Thought, I don't really want to be an attorney and I don't really want to go to school anymore. So I graduated, started working a couple of firms, and then I got into public accounting, ended up eventually starting my own firm. I was initially doing that. I also was dabbling, I won't say dabbling, I was actually doing a lot of stand-up comedy. So a lot of my clients were creative types. I was doing a show at the comedy store on a weekly basis. I was producing a show and the owner called me up and said, hey, you got to help us out. We're in some financial dire straits and uh, help us out. So I got involved with the comedy store. I'm the CFO of the comedy store. I've been there for 25 years. We're getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary, have a CPA practice. I've got about 1,200 clients. I brought in a business partner about three years ago. We have a staff of about 15 people, and we help people. They're entrepreneurs. We help with tax strategies, and we do international accounting and all that kind of stuff. I then wrote a book called The Money Nerve to really start to talk to people about their money shame, money, and emotions, because a lot of my tax clients, our appointments turned into therapy sessions, and I also had clients making completely illogical financial decisions based on absolutely nothing. And until I started getting curious and saying, hey, what's going on for you? What's the sabotage here? And started to realize, wow, I I think people know it. They just don't admit it. We all carry, most of us carry some shame around financial choices, about not hitting our marks, about just all those different things. And and money is one of those things we don't talk about. And so there's a lot of isolation of I'm the only one and I feel so alone. And, and as you know, money and emotions, people have jumped off of buildings, people have heart attacks, so many negative and positive things that physically happen within our bodies when we're dealing with money. And so I really started going on these shows and talking to people to really start these conversations about money and emotions to help remove that stigma of shame. Oh, awesome. Wow. 1,200 clients. That's, that's a lot. I don't know how you manage all of that. <laughs> 
I, I partially am sane. So can you explain about money, emotions, and, and sabotaging and all of that? Because people might not know what that means or if you can explain that. Absolutely. So I've had clients that got offered a promotion that involved, oh, now I have to speak in front of people. Well, I don't think I want the raise, right? I'm not going to take the job. I'm going to transfer to another job so I don't have to actually get out of my comfort zone. Sometimes people will start to have something that starts to become successful and they'll move away from it because they're uncomfortable or because mom and dad said, y'all never amount to anything. Who are you to think you could do that? And all of a sudden we don't want them to be wrong. So they better sabotage that so that mom and dad can be right, that I'll never be able to accomplish my goals. And so there's just so many different ways where we emotionally are making decisions unconsciously and, and then having this outcome and saying, why did this happen? So many people, and I've gotten in this mode um, of, oh, I'm so broke. I'm broke. I'm broke. I'm broke. And my clients will tell me how broke they are. And I'll say, well, that's funny because you've got three rental properties. You just traveled to Spain. You, you've got kids in private college and private school. Yeah, okay, maybe cash is tight, but you're not poor. On the balance sheet, it works out pretty well. And so to get out of this victim mindset where, oh, oh, my, my life is so sad. And there may be other reasons why our life is sad, but at least in the U.S., for the majority of us, even if we're like, oh, I only make 20000 a year, we're still doing a lot better than most people in the rest of the world. And so really just trying to see where am I sabotaging? Where am I spending money instead of saving it to have the goals that I want? I'd rather go out and spend money on drinks this weekend instead of saving that money for a down payment on a house or to be able to pay cash for a car. And, and so sometimes those are the choices we make. Well, I don't want people to think I'm cheap. I don't want people to think I can't party. So I'll go do these things so that they'll be impressed with me. And then I'll give up the things that I actually want for myself. Yeah, that is interesting when you're talking about like people that have rental properties and they're sending their kids to private school and all this stuff. But then they talk about how they don't have money. One thing I've noticed is that sometimes as people make more money or save more money or accumulate more, it's almost like they hold on to it more. Like they do kind of view themselves maybe not as poor, but they kind of hold on to it like they're afraid. I mean, you have people on the other end too that just blow it all and whatever. But I'm kind of curious what causes people that have a decent amount of money to like cling on to it as if it's just going to float away or something. You know, everybody has a different, unique story. A lot of times, though, when people are holding on to money, there's a scarcity mindset. Finally got ahead. I didn't think I was going to get ahead. Now I can't let it escape me. And so then they grasp onto it really tight with complete fear instead of being able to say, right, money comes and it goes and it stays for a while. And then I invest it and maybe it does some more things or I take a trip and I'll still make more money. But often we get comfortable and then we don't want to lose our position. And so we're going to do everything we can. Like, you know, politicians do that, right? They get elected and they're going to be, I'm going to save the world. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to lose my spot. I can't lose my power. And I think it's similar with money that sometimes we get comfortable and we think, I can't let anything ever change this. But life and money ebbs and flows, it goes up and down. But I think ultimately, a lot of that goes back to a scarcity mindset of, I can't believe I actually got this windfall and I've got to do everything that I can to protect it. Now, there are some people that start off with that mindset of like, I've got to hold on to everything. 
And maybe that was, again, from a childhood experience, our money just left all the time or they were struggling constantly. And it's like, I don't want to struggle anymore. And then you've got other people that are like, look, I could die tomorrow. I'm going to spend every dime for every second. And if I live longer, oh, well, I'll figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with any of those choices for me about being conscious and knowing that I've chosen that as opposed to it randomly happened to me. I guess both extremes are probably not ideal. You probably want to be somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. So do you talk at all about like how to decipher whether something's a good money decision? Like, should I spend my money on that? Or maybe should I spend it on this? Or should I save it here or wait? Or Yeah, absolutely. I always think when we spend money, whether we're buying lunch or whether we're making a major purchase, I, I do think it's important to check in with, is this purchase serving me? And for me, I'm also asking, is it in line? Is it in integrity with what I say that I want? Right? So if I'm like, I'm about saving money and giving to charity, but I'm actually really about spending as much money as I can on an expensive meal and traveling on quick weekend getaways, maybe my, my choices aren't in line with that. Now there's nothing wrong with those being my goals, but I want to be clear if I just want to like live for the moment, then great, live for the moment. So I think it's important to ask that question. Now I've had some people, I was talking with us who works with people around money and her question always is, will this purchase bring me more money? And whether it's because I feel competent in this new outfit I bought, or whether it's because I just invested some money that's going to have a good return. It is important though, I think to be conscious of what am I spending on this? Why am I spending it? What need is it fulfilling? Does it get me to look cool? Does it make my parents proud? Is it something that is just in alignment with what I say that I want? So I, I definitely think even when I'm trying to decide if I'm going to buy food or bring my lunch, am I worried that my coworker is going to be like, Bob always brings this lunch. He's so cheap. One thing I noticed on your website is it looks like there's three financial Fs. There's financial fitness, financial fears, and financial freedom. I'd be curious if you could go into those. Well, for me, financial fitness is like learning to work out with your money, learning to get fit, learning to, I think many people, myself included, for a long time said, oh, I can't pay myself first, right? I can't put that 10% away. There's a hundred reasons. I needed to cultivate the habit and just stop with my excuses. Paying down debt. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it later. Like when I work with people, I work with them on paying down some debt, but also creating some savings at the same time, because I want to be cultivating this new habit. I want to get financially like, great, working out, practicing my savings. Even if I'm only saving $5, I want that mindset to start to shift away from, I'm always in debt. I'm never going to get out of it. No, I'm also saving to start to then go, oh, look, I have 50 bucks in the account. Let me see if I can get it to a hundred. I'm not saying start with a million dollars. And I think uh, a lot of times people say, well, I'll get financially fit when I get the bonus when I get this extra windfall. And you know what? It's not coming. Just start with something. So I'm happy to start with five bucks or two bucks with my clients. I don't need it to be a million dollars. So that for me, that's fitness is is just like exercising my financial muscle, being conscious about what I'm doing, not just like, oh, everybody said Bitcoin. Let me throw a million dollars into Bitcoin. I don't know anything about Bitcoin. No, I, I'm willing to put in $500 into Bitcoin until I learn a little more. I could live with that. So learning to okay, it's not so scary. Financial fears, that's the place of, what if I do it wrong? What if I make too much money and now everybody wants to be my friend? 
what if people are judging me thinking I don't deserve it because they're smarter people? That's all true, right? People are going to judge you. Guess what? They're going to judge you. I'm judging people. We're all judging people. It's just, can we be discerning about those judgments and know when, oh, that's just an irrational judgment or, oh, okay, that's a fair assessment. And so if we can start to understand our fears, uh, fear of moving out of our comfort zone, fear of judgment of other people for succeeding, for not succeeding, all of those things to really start to understand, oh, these are things that come up for me. I get really insecure. I get really quiet. Having a conversation about money means having a fight, right? A lot of people think, oh, if we talk about money, that means we need to fight about money. No, learning to have a difficult conversation without throwing bottles. <laughs> All those kinds of things where we can start to look at our fear and fear of success, fear of the IRS. I have so many people will come to me and say, I haven't filed in three years. Am I going to prison? No, there's no debtor's prison. That doesn't happen anymore. We can figure it out. So working through all that, when you can work through all your fears, when you can start to get financially fit and start to actually do things that serve you, then you can have financial freedom. And financial freedom doesn't necessarily mean I have $8 billion in the bank and I can do whatever I want. It means that I actually have choice to say, you know what, I am going to travel this year. Or this year, I'm going to really focus on spending money and time with my family. Or I'm going to be able to take time off to start this new venture. Whatever it might be, learning to live within our means, because I know lots of people that make 20, 30, 40, $50,000 living in LA, and they would tell you they have the most amazing lives. And they do because they're not just focused on how do I get the next dollar? How do I get the fanciest car? How do I one up on all my material things? They're actually looking around going, look, I've got amazing kids. We took this trip and okay, it was a Paris, but they had an amazing trip. And so for me, getting to financial freedom is a place where actually I get to have choice and not necessarily that, oh, okay, I could buy the whole world. Yeah, that's a good point because I think a lot of people, when they think of financial freedom, they think of being able to travel anywhere, eat anything, buy anything, when really it probably just means, you know, feeling like you can do the things that you want to do. I mean, obviously some people want to travel the world and maybe you can't, but being able to live the way you want to live without living in a cardboard box or whatever. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, you know, here's the, my own finances. I could probably, if somebody said, hey, you want to go out and buy a $200,000 car? I could probably do that. I can't do that every day. I can only do that once. And so it's like, you know, it's funny. I'll ask people at a workshop, I'll say, who wants to be rich? Everybody's like, I want to be rich. What do you think of rich people? Rich people suck. Okay. Well, that's sort of interesting. You want to be a person that sucks. Oh. <laughs> Right. And so we have this bind because we want to be this rich person that could do anything. And yet we have this negative image of what rich people are. They're greedy. They're evil. Right. And, and we want to be that, but we don't want to be the evil and the greedy. And we have to learn how to reconcile that. There are lots of amazing, wonderfully rich people that are incredible human beings. And I know lots of people with no money. They're complete jerks. So money just amplifies who we are as, as people. So I, it's just an interesting thing. If people want to be rich, the other thing I ask people is when they get all excited, yeah, I want to be rich. Do you deserve it? And then a lot of people take a breath. Oh, oh, don't ask that. Right. And then that's the place where I'm interested. That's the place that I want to explore that place where there's a hesitation because there are a lot of people that are like, cool, I'm cool. Wealthy is great, but there's more people that when you say, do you deserve it? Oh, that's a touchy subject. And, and, and that's where the juice is, I think, for all of us. 
earlier you had mentioned kind of in passing about Bitcoin and I'd be curious. Well, I'm curious to hear more about diversifying, period, including maybe Bitcoin. Well, I definitely think it's great not to have all your eggs in one basket. So I definitely think if you have the ability to have some real estate, if you're not living in Southern California, there's a lot of places where you can buy real estate for $80,000, $120,000 instead of $2.5 So real estate is great. Having some money, if you're not comfortable investing in the stock market per se, looking at mutual funds, which is a combination of stocks and bonds, you know, like a Vanguard fund. There's some great funds out there. I have physical coins. I have silver and gold that I have. So just in case all the ATMs and electricity goes out, I could use my little silver to, to buy a meal. <laughs> I've got my coins. And I think you also have to pick your comfort level. I do have a little bit of money in Bitcoin. but I don't fully understand it and I'm not that interested in it. Other than, yeah, it'd be great if I put in five bucks and I got a million, that'd be fantastic. But I'm realistic. I'm not putting in a dollar to the lottery, planning on winning $2 million so that I can just move forward. I think Bitcoin is great and there's a lot of people out there and Bitcoin versus crypto, there's a lot of stuff besides Bitcoin. Crypto is all of the different Ethereum, Litecoin, Doge, all those things. And if that's your comfort level, for me, if I'm going to put money in the stock market, if I'm going to put money in crypto, don't ever put any more money than you're willing to lose because it's really just like going to Vegas and it can pay off nicely or the house can win. And so you just want to be, do stuff that feels right for you. But I definitely think being able to spread yourself out, having a little bit of money here and there. I also have money in private notes where people need short-term lending in between a bank loan. And so they tend to pay higher interest because sometimes people are just, they need a bridge loan. And so I invest with this company that does private notes, which I got from a friend at FinCon who gave me that tip. And that was a very cool thing. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. It's not all just, oh, I'm going to play the stock market or I'm just going to do crypto. Yeah, I get overwhelmed with all the different options. And I haven't done any of the crypto stuff because I don't get it either. And I keep hearing about it. And I'm like, I don't. And then like NFTs and all this. I'm like, I don't know what this is and I don't care. <laughs> but it's like at the same time, I don't want to miss the bandwagon. But yeah, totally. I NFTs, you know, a client of mine called me up and said, hey, look, I just made $400,000 on NFTs. I might actually just quit my job. I'm like, well, don't, don't quit your job. I, this is great, but I don't understand this stuff. Enjoy the money while it's coming in, but maybe keep your day job for a while. <laughs> if you get like $10 million, okay, maybe let's talk. But yeah, I don't always understand it either. And it doesn't mean it's not a good investment. It just means I need to do a little more research. And then at the end of the day, I may still decide that's not for me. I had a relative who was like, beanie babies are going to be the way to go. And they spent, I don't know, this was probably, I don't know what, 10, 20 years ago when the Beanie Babies were big, they invested like $50,000 in, in Beanie Babies. Everybody has a choice. Everybody has a choice. Oh, wow. Did they end up selling any of them and making money they back? They, they did not make their money. They lost. Hey, nothing ventured, nothing gained, I guess. But again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Just know how much you're willing to lose. And then if you make tons of money, fantastic. I'm always happy for people to prove me wrong on things that I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure. They come back and go, look, I won. Fantastic. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love being wrong when it comes to that because I don't always know either. I don't, nobody gave me a crystal ball and if I could find one, it would be awesome. And do you have any budgeting tips or advice? So one of the things I think is really important to do for people is to, especially if they're getting started in all of this, 
is to keep a little notebook, not a notepad, but a little notebook. So you can write on the left side, write down all the money coming in on the right side, all the money going out and really starting to track that. When I do workshops that are like 10 week series, by the third or fourth week, people will say, I have so much more money because I don't want to write anything down because I don't want to tell you what's in my book. It's a great way for you to start to see, oh my gosh, I spend $5 a day on lottery tickets. You know, I was arguing with a friend who was going to Starbucks every day. And I said, you know, when you go get your coffee every day, you're like five or six bucks. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm spending three bucks. I'm like, give me the receipt. He's like, okay, here you go. I'm like, look at that. It's four, four ninety five. What? When did the coffee go up? And I'm like... You know, and then also then he had to add a scone and he had, so I think it's just important to really look at what am I spending and gift cards. That's money coming in. If somebody gives me a hundred dollars, that's, that's money coming in that I didn't have before. And so just tracking all of that stuff so I can start to say, oh, more money comes in than I realized and a whole lot more money goes out than I realized. And that's a great way to at least get started in seeing how you spend. I definitely think it's important to know how much it costs to live per month for yourself. Ideally, it's great if you can have six months of savings. Most people don't even have a month of savings. And when I tell people that, I don't expect them to do it tomorrow. Like I don't expect, I have no savings today, but by tomorrow you need to have six months worth of savings. No, but make that a goal over the next year or two that I'm going to work up to six months of savings. Do it in digestible bites. I like baby steps. But I think the more you can start to look at your budget and maybe ask somebody else to hold you accountable to it or to take a look at it, gasp have a conversation with your partner, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, and talk about money because a lot of people don't. Budgeting is such a useful tool and really lets you know where you stand with things. I'm actually working on some house improvements. I just bought a house and I had a certain budget in mind and all of a sudden this was a more expensive, more expensive. I went, oh, wait a minute. I need to run, recorrect my budget and see where I stand because I'm not willing to spend more than, like in my case, I don't want to spend more than 50,000 bucks for the things that I'm doing. And I'm like, ugh, I'm 5,000 over. Now, can I afford the 5,000? I can, but it's the principle. And so now I'm looking back saying, you know what? I was comfortable with 50. I'm not comfortable with 55. What do I want to cut? And so now I'm going to go back and try and renegotiate a couple of things. And there's a couple of things that are like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, you had mentioned baby steps. Are you familiar? Oh, well, I'm sure you are with Dave Ramsey and financial peace. I took that because we were in debt and we finally got all the debt paid off except for the house. I don't know, maybe a year ago or something. The last step that he has is pay off the house. But I don't know. We've been kind of going back and forth on like putting more money towards the house payment to pay it off earlier. But then I was listening to another entrepreneur talk about how if you have your house at a 3% interest rate that if you pay it off early, I mean, you're just saving the 3% or you could take that same amount of money and put it somewhere else and get maybe five, 10, who knows what percent. So I'm just curious, like what your opinion is if someone is trying to decide, and this is a very specific example, but just trying to decide whether to start paying off their house or applying that money towards other things that have a higher interest rate than their mortgage interest rate? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And again, it's slightly different for everybody and what's their comfort level. But for me, if I'm looking at their cash flow, I'm looking at what's going on in the world right now. So right now the world's a little crazy. Inflation's shooting up and all these other things. If I've got a fixed mortgage, meaning I don't have a variable rate, and so I'm paying 3%, 
or 2.8. And that's not changing regardless of what happens in the banking and the financial world. I'm going to actually consider holding on to my cash right now. I actually would say, okay, maybe I do want to invest it over here and maybe I want to start this new company, but I'm not going to put it all in the house with what's going on today. Now, having said that, I slightly heavily, I tend to put more equity in my house than other people would initially. They're like, don't do that. I'm like, oh, that just makes me comfortable because I want to put enough in and then I'm happy with the mortgage pain. Yeah, I could put in less and have a bigger mortgage, but yeah. So I would put it all in there and I don't put it all in there, but I put more in than most people would. So if they said, oh, you got to put in 20%, I'm probably putting in 35. But I do want to have that cash available with what's going on. Now, if I was had a variable rate, I've got $2 million of inheritance that just came in and I've got other things going on and my cash flow is really solid. Yeah, I might actually say, you know what, let's get that thing paid off or let's get that thing refinanced. And so I'm going to sort of look at the bigger picture of what my comfort level is or my cash balance is all where I want them. Is my savings account set for my six months or my 12 months or all those things in place before I pay it down. Now, interestingly, in California, we have earthquakes all the time. And if I pay down my house and an earthquake hits and they make it uh, non-livable and I have to move out, nobody's going to give me money on my broken down house. And so maybe I don't want to put so much equity into a property that I might have to walk away from. Well, in that case, I mean, wouldn't the insurance company pay you for? Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> right. But some of these things, like what just happened down in Florida, that condo building, mm. that's going to be years before that stuff gets resolved. Right. And so if I've got a condo there and I put all my equity into it and, and it just fell off the side of the building and I've got to wait four years, I don't have any equity. And then I have to hope the insurance company doesn't go bankrupt. So there are times where some of these people, they're in a really uh, rough situation. And, mm -hmm. and so there might be reasons why I don't want to put all my money into a property. Those are good tips or helpful. And you had mentioned inflation. I wanted to ask about that. Hard to predict the future. But what are your thoughts as far as the inflation? Is it going to continue? Is it ever going to plateau, level out, go down? I don't know, because I think everybody's kind of freaking out right now and like they're saving even more money, the scarcity mindset, or they're buying up stuff because afraid of inflation and nobody knows. And I don't want to be a grim reaper. <laughs> Sometimes they're like, oh, Bob the Grim Reaper. But I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I, I don't think, I think we're just starting. And I think we unfortunately probably have a couple of years. Now, I hope I'm completely wrong. And I hope three weeks from now, I'm eating my words. But I think we have a couple more years. In LA, they kept saying, oh, the housing market's going to reset, reset. Well, that was three years ago. It hadn't reset. It hasn't corrected. So oh, I, I definitely think that it's going to be a bit. And I definitely think once we get through it, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be, yeah, we need to hunker down a little bit. And just, I'm not saying we have to be so scarcity mindset focused. I think we need to be cautious. I'm frugal or cheap by nature. And so... It's just, I don't want to feed into that fear and I'm also going to be practical. So I can joke about this. I do have a scarcity mindset and I do like having six months worth of food in my cupboard pre-pandemic. That's just always been a thing for me. It just gives me comfort. And you know what? You have some canned food, you got some beans, all that stuff. It's not going to go bad. I, I joke about it because it is a little silly, but at the end of the day, it gives me comfort and I'm not hurting anybody, but I'm not going to go feed into an obsessive. Hmm. So when you say it, at least it's, you're 
prediction. I don't know if that's the right word, but you feel like it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Do you mean like the inflation? Because I think it's what, 7% now or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think. You I think can... it's going to go up to what, 10 or beyond? Maybe. So I'm old enough that in the late 70s, mortgage interest rates were 18%. Wow. And I remember, and I didn't understand it at the time because I was in high school, but I remember people saying they were, a lot of people had variable rates. And so all of a sudden their house payment went from 800 bucks to 1200 bucks to 2000 bucks. And I could, and I would hear these conversations, my mortgage just tripled. And I'm like, well, how is that possible? Because I didn't really, like, I just didn't understand. I was busy, like being a teenager, but I remember the fear and people losing houses and because people didn't plan ahead and then they couldn't refinance as things started. So I, all I remembered is the first time I bought a house, fixed rate, <laughs> fixed rate. I remember the nightmares of people with the variable race. And I thought, I don't care if people are like, yeah, but the, it's not good. I don't care. I want a fixed rate. I always want a fixed rate because I know what it is. I hopefully we don't get to mortgage rates of 18%. That's a big mountain to climb because right now we're like what, 2.8 or 3.2. Mm -hmm. like, we're less than five. So yeah, I think there's more to come, but I think we'll also get through it. How are inflation rates determined anyway? Because 7%, I mean, what is that based on? Is that an, you know, because food almost seems like it's gone up almost 100% sometimes at certain foods. But then, like you said, mortgages haven't really necessarily gone up much. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious how that works out. So I just had to look it up. I'm going to, so here's what it says, because I, I don't know exactly the terminology, but inflation refers to the general progressive increase in prices of goods and the services in an economy. And when the general price levels rise, each unit of currency buys fewer goods and services and inflation corresponds to a reduction in the purchasing power of money. So the common measure of inflation is the inflation rate, the annualized percentage change in the general price index. So a box of cereal is five bucks and next year the box of cereal is 15 bucks and they can measure the percentages on lots of different purchases to get that the price index. Okay. So it's just kind of a, an average of taking all costs, all living costs together and then because I know like people's rent has gone up like, I don't know about double, but maybe at least yeah. a third or something. At least it's exponentially increased. It's interesting because there are some people out there, they're making minimum wage and everything's going up and up. And I just don't, it's difficult to live off of $15 an hour when you're, when most of your money's going to rent. You're like, mm, do I want to pay rent? Do I want to eat? And that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, if people's incomes continue to go up to match the inflation, I guess then maybe you won't really notice a difference. But at, at a certain point, and I know a lot of companies are doing that, giving raises and stuff, but at a certain point, there's only so high they can go and it's going right. to not match inflation at a certain point. Yeah. It's sort of an interesting thing because great, they give everybody raises, but the tax rates aren't being adjusted for inflation. So now I'm in a new tax bracket. So now I have less money because I'm in a higher tax bracket. And it's interesting right now, I, I think this is everywhere, but I know at least in Southern California, it is hard to find somebody to work. And so people are paying more money just to get a body in the door that they would have never paid the amounts of money they're paying. So I do think people are seeing increases 
in wages, but there's a lot of people that aren't interested in, in working. Pandemic, I think, has really changed a lot of people's perspective and some for the good, some not so for the good, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. So we'll get through it. Well, I really appreciate your time today. We've kind of gone over a lot of different things. And was there anything else in particular that you wanted to cover before we end? I would just say with all that's going on and talking about inflation, talking about being frugal and things like that, I think it's really important to check your credit card debt. I think that it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm going to put my groceries on a credit card. But if you're not paying that credit card down, you're potentially paying double on that food purchase. And so I would just really caution people about paying with things on credit cards and then only paying the minimum. If you're going to use a credit card, pay that balance down to zero because it can snowball so quickly if you're not paying attention. And I just, credit card debt, and I was there and I had lots of credit card debt that you were sharing, you got out of debt. It's not fun. And and I can tell you, I don't want to go back there. And it can just sneak up on you if you're not paying attention. Yeah, definitely. I think that was the issue we were having is we just weren't paying attention. But so we had the car. And so that was part of the debt. We paid the car off. But then the rest of it was credit card. But it wasn't. We were paying the balance every month, but we had like a a 0% balance transfer thing. And so every how whenever that would expire, then we would just get a new 0% balance transfer and transfer it over. And of course, there's like a 3% fee or something. Right. And and so I think ultimately we the way we did it and we did that for a while, I think we saved money from like the 20 percent APR or whatever, because we were just paying like a three percent transfer fee every nine months or 12 months or whatever. But still, it's not the right way to go about things. And so we finally got that all squared away and paid off. But yeah. And then once you finally do get it paid off, you're like, oh, never going to do that again. Yeah. Please, please. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So now we, we budget and because we weren't doing that before, we weren't paying attention really to what was coming in versus what was going out, which to to me now, I'm just like, what were we thinking? Like, it just right. seemed so obvious that you would budget and now we're in the habit of it. Learning to get financially fit. Exactly. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today. And People can learn more about you at themoneynerve.com. You also have a book and a podcast. Yep. And then I'll have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash moneynerve. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Have you considered starting a podcast for your business? Or maybe you already have one but are afraid of pod fading because you just didn't realize how much time post-production would take. I can help. My company, podseam.com, makes podcasting as seamless as possible. We help you launch, manage, market, and monetize your podcast seamlessly. We do more than just podcast editing and production. We help you leverage the power of podcasting to get new leads and grow your business. Learn more at podseam.com. That's P-O-D-S-E-A-M.com. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. 
Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.